So, wow, it's good to be back. I haven't preached here in three months. So that's why we had dinner at five. So we're going to go through the day because I've got a lot I want to say. So just buckle up and I'm going to take all day to unpack. No, I'm kidding. I do have a lot that I want to say. I'm going to try and be a little reserved this morning. Um, uh, It was an amazing summer of having a time of rest and renewal and connection time with family and travel. And there's so many things to tell that it'll probably take us the next year or more to, to unpack everything that God has been doing in me and in our family, and I assume even more so in you. And that's one of the things about our dinner tonight is we're going to get to hear stories of what God has been doing in you during the summer as well, because this is a journey that we've been taking together. Hey, if you are newer to the church or you're visiting with us this morning, uh, you're going to get to hear a lot of uh, family stories today and, you know, in the days ahead if you keep coming. And we'd love to connect with you. And one of the ways you can help us do that is you can turn in a connect card that's in the seat back in front of you or next Sunday, which is the fourth Sunday of the month. We always have a uh, connection time with the pastor. And so if you want to come after service and uh, get some coffee and donuts, uh, I'll be there and some of our leadership will be there. And it's just an opportunity for us to meet you face-to-face, so um, come and and, and visit with us next week. Uh, I I cannot say thank you enough to each one of you for allowing us the gift of this summer renewal time. You're going to hear more tonight, but uh, I can't tell you how surprised I was about how tired I actually was when I actually took the time to pause and to rest. And I think that was the start of uh, a challenging inner wrestling with myself through this summer of what does it mean to really keep in step with the Spirit as a follower of Jesus Christ, which was our our theme for the sabbatical. And if you remember, we took that from Galatians 5.25 that says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, that's a wonderful platitude, right? But how do, you, how do you do that in the 21st century with busy family and work and school and all of the things that we fill our lives with? And, and I, I have to say, you know, as a pastor, I honestly don't even know. And so part of the struggle for me of taking a break and, and wrestling with some of these deeper spiritual realities of my own life and the life of our culture was to really seek God's Guidance and how do we keep in step with the Spirit? And as we uh, move forward, we we have this kind of guiding question of of not only what does it look like to keep in step with the Spirit, but, but for me, I wanted to know what does it feel like? To keep in step with the Spirit. You know what I mean? Not, not in terms of like emotionality, but like physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. If you're keeping in step with the Spirit, what, is that, what does that actually feel like? What is life like when you're, you're in, the, in the flow with God's Spirit, right? I, I want to know that, don't you? Don't you want to know what that feels like or, or remember when you've had those moments in your, in your life where you feel like everything's lining up with your relationship with God and you're firing on all cylinders and, and life is good, even though sometimes we might have even been in the darkest and most challenging places of our lives and, and God's glory shows up and we see life in a whole new perspective. I, I want to know what that feels like again in my life. And I want to share that with each other 
in our experience of church and our life together. Now, fast forward, okay, to late August, right? And in the last few weeks before coming back, I began to make contact with staff and some leadership team members to check in and and to kind of set our shared expectations about what coming back was going to look like and what are we going to be doing this fall. And I I heard the stories that in many ways the the summer went really well for you all too while we were gone. Sure, there were a few glitches along the way, but for the most part, everyone came together in the church and, and made things happen. We got things done and God blessed your journey even as he was blessing ours. I heard that many of you enjoyed reading the book In Search of Deep Faith. That was really significant for our family. We were reading a chapter a week together about this pastor's family that went on a year-long sabbatical renewal journey, and so we could kind of parallel our experiences with what they were learning. Um, And so that was really phenomenal, and I I hope that we have an opportunity this coming season to go deeper into that book. I also heard that our preachers for the summer did a really phenomenal job encouraging us to continue to focus in God's word and that our first time ever preacher from our own high school group, Sidney McClinton, knocked it out of the park. Yeah? I mean, how, how good is God to bless us with so many people to encourage us and share out of their own experience of keeping in step with the Spirit? But I also began to hear something else as I talked with people. And I think, understandably, there was some measure of anxiety about me coming back. There was a a growing sense of nervousness among some of the staff and some of the leaders that, you know, it's been a long, busy summer. And, you know, a lot of people have stepped up and we've been making it happen without you. And and now Kurt's going to come back and he's going to be all rejuvenated and inspired and he's going to have all these goals he wants to pursue and... I'm feeling a little scared and overwhelmed. How are we going to do all that? Because I'm tired, right? (laughs) So I started writing a letter by writing a letter to the staff and the church leadership team, hoping to encourage them that I think what we're going to be hearing today and in the weeks ahead is that just the opposite is true. That in many ways, I think I'm coming back with more questions than answers that I think I would like to explore together. And I'm coming back with a greater desire to learn together what does it mean for us as Christians and as a church to be effective and not just busy? What does it mean for us as a church to truly be effective in our spiritual journey and not just busy? See, instead of charging hard and over-planning our fall calendar with so much activity right off the bat that we we get stressed and overwhelmed right from the get-go, I'd love for us to to, to take some time uh, to ask some intentional questions and to wrestle with God's Spirit to, to seek true answers that give us the confidence that we are hearing from God in our lives and that we are pursuing Christ's priorities in our lives and in our world, rather than just assuming that if we just keep doing the same thing we've always been doing, we're going to somehow get a different result, because that's the definition of insanity, right? Do you ever feel like life is crazy? I do. 
You ever feel like you're stuck on the, the treadmill and you're going faster and faster, but you're still not getting any closer to the destination that you think you're getting to? Why is our experience of life as Christians so similar to the experience of the culture around us when God says that we're supposed to be free, when God says that we're supposed to experience life abundantly, a fruitful, joy-filled life, and we're supposed to have the peace of Christ in our hearts? Why don't we experience what we say we believe more often than we do? So I started to share three, what I'm calling key learnings or big rocks, you know, from the summer, from my time away that I, I want us to, to spend some time focusing on together as a way of getting back into life and ministry this fall, as a way of guiding our conversations and continuing to discern the leading of God's spirit in our lives, individually, as families, and as a faith community. And what I'd like to do today is just share those three things with you. We're not going to have a lot of time to go deep in each one because I want to get them all out on the plate for us um, and introduce them. And then over the next three weeks, we'll take one week to, to take a deeper dive into each one of them and see if we can begin to unpack a little bit of what maybe God has for us in those key learnings. And as we hear the stories of what God has been doing in your lives, I am trusting that we're going to see how the Holy Spirit is weaving together our shared experience of life to have the confidence that as we live life together in the season ahead, that we will learn more what it means to be effective and not just busy. Now, our, our vision and mission here at Faith Covenant Church for the last couple of years has been to pursue what we've been calling a real life together, connecting, growing, and serving. And, and we've been wrestling with what this phrase means for us. What does a real life together really look like? Uh, and I'd like to suggest for us this morning that the answers to some of the questions that, that I've been wrestling and with and perhaps we can wrestle with this fall from the summer combined with some of those questions about what does a real life together look like for us at Faith Covenant Church to give us some more clarity and focus for the days ahead about how do we more effectively keep in step with the Spirit and pursue a real life together. And so the three things, the first one, we learned travel light. <laughs> right? Travel light. I mean, you spend six weeks traveling around the world and navigating international travel, and you learn pretty quickly what the essentials are and what the non-essentials are. In, in fact, you know, we had some souvenirs that we really wanted to have in our lives as a result of the trip, and we had some stuff that we brought with us that we figured, you know, we don't really need that stuff anymore. So we threw stuff out in order to make room for more stuff that we could bring home with us, right? Because we traveled with a really small suitcase, in a, in, a, in a fairly small backpack. And that's all we had for six weeks. We were reminded that we really don't need all that much to be healthy, to be happy, to be functional in life. In fact, traveling light really enabled us to be, begin to be more flexible and adaptable on the journey. So we were kind of free to go here, or to go there. And to, if we had to move quickly to catch a train, we could get there. We didn't have all this stuff that we had to drag around with us all over the place, right? And we began to realize that we were focusing more on our experiences together. We were focusing more on our time relationally 
rather than managing all of this stuff in our lives. And I have to tell you, as soon as we got home, we started clearing out the closets and getting into the garage. Because we're like, this, this simplifying thing is significant. It's important. And, and for us as a family, we began to recognize that we need to try and keep things more simple in our lives, to learn to travel light metaphorically in order to keep that freedom to keep in step with one another and with God's spirit so that we could stay better connected and experience the kind of life together that we desire. See, we learn to create more space in our lives for freedom and relationship and to move at a better pace in our relationships with one another so that when we came back, we had this renewed commitment to simplify our lives. But I can tell you, being back two weeks the suck is to pull you back to the complexity, to bring it all in. And, and I, I have confessed to, to our leadership and to our staff, I don't know how to do this well. I need your help to help me to be able to live into this. And, and we all need one another's help to stay committed to the challenge of, of traveling light because this world tells us and our own desires tell us that we just need more and more and we just pile it on until we feel overwhelmed and stressed and then we don't know what else to do. But what we learned is that in order to keep in step with the Spirit and to keep in step with one another, often less is more, right? Often less is more. But then I, I, I began to wonder at another level, how often is this true of our experience in our spiritual lives as well? In what ways do we allow ourselves to get out of step with the Spirit because we've overloaded our time and our schedule with so many things, even good things, that we lose the freedom and the flexibility to simply enjoy the journey and to enjoy one another? How much of our experience of church is like that? And is that in part what keeps us from being able to be effective in living out the call of God in our lives and to make a, a dramatic impact in the community around us? Are we spending so much time carrying the weight of the ministry of God and what church is that we're missing out on, on the experience of what church is supposed to be? And so I have more questions than I have answers. How, how do we become truly effective in, in achieving the desired results of what the Bible says church should really be about? Or maybe have perhaps an even more challenging question for us in this area is, what are the good things that might be getting in the way of God's best things? What are the good things in your life, in my life? What are the good things about Faith Covenant Church that are really good things, but they might be getting in the way of God's best things. And I was reminded of the words of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We can read them together on the screen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
See, he, he knows. Paul, the, the author of Hebrews, we, we, we think it might be Paul, right? Or, or somebody related to his ministry knows that life can be wearisome and we can lose heart because we get so stressed out and overwhelmed. And he's saying, you got to learn how to travel light. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience with this passage is, as I always jump to, to, to hearing, what I hear when I read this, is that what they're saying is we need to throw off all of our sin. We got to get rid of our sin in order to experience God's goodness in our lives, right? But actually, that's not what he says. I mean, that's partially what he says, but let's go back and, and think about what he says. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So, so what is that everything that hinders part? If it's not the sin, because yeah, we got to throw off sin, but what's the everything that hinders part? Maybe in there are some really good things, maybe even some godly things that aren't really a part of what God is calling us to pursue in our life and in our families and as a church in the future. I have a lot of questions I'd like to explore together. How do we identify the things that are hindering us and that are weighing us down and preventing us from keeping in step with the Spirit? So the second thing that we learn going through the summer is uh, to value and pursue shared experiences. To value and pursue shared experiences. So this was kind of an unexpected part of our travel time. We were actually already, you know, uh, off on the plane. We had flown to Japan first, and we spent three weeks in Japan. And while we're going, uh, Tammy had some time to actually do a little more travel research on her phone. And she came across this thing called Airbnb Experiences. Have you heard of that yet? So we know what Airbnb is, right? You know, you can book a room in somebody's house and they'll host you. Well, they, now they have these Airbnb experiences. And any town or city that you go to, there are local people who will host you for some kind of an experience. And so in the course of our travels, we started using those everywhere we went because it was an amazing way to connect with people and get involved with the culture around us. And it was a totally different experience than getting on a tour bus and going around and seeing all the temples and the shrines and then getting back and going back to your hotel, right? Completely changed our experience of our trip. We were able to meet with a fourth generation Japanese textile maker that had made kimono fabric for the emperor and the empress's wedding. And we got to go to their shop and to sit at the looms and we actually got to make pieces of fabric for, for ourselves on the looms and hear about the whole history of textile making in Japan and meet these wonderful, amazing people. Isn't that pretty cool? We got to sit with a, a 50-year bookmaker who makes books from scratch, and he taught us how to pick a fabric and, and, and get all the glue and the pieces, and we built our own books, and we got to bring our books home. But more than that, we got to hear his story uh, about how he got connected with this other guy who, who had come to Seattle and had been a restaurateur here in Seattle, but, but ended up going back home to Japan, and they, they had this idea of sharing this this craft with new people that, you know, was kind of a dying craft in Japan to, to kind of keep it alive. And, oh, what an amazing experience to spend a day in his shop making books together. We met an American expat, right? American guy who married a Japanese woman, so now he's living in Japan. And you know what his passion hobby is? Making chain mail. 
And we got to sit in his shop and, and with pliers and little pieces of, of, of metal make a little chain mail. And we got to hear about his own story about how he ended up in Japan and he shared the history of chain mail in Europe and how it made its way a, across Europe into Asia and how it got to Japan and the different kinds of chain mail. He had a whole chain mail shirt that we got to put on and wear, right? We've got pictures. Come tonight and you'll see some of them. We took guided bicycle tours through, I mean, it goes on and on. But one of the things, and they even say this on the app, I don't think this is a direct quote, but this is the gist of what we took away, right? If you want to be more than merely a tourist in life, you've got to have shared experiences with local people. If you want to be more than just a tourist in life, you've got to have shared experiences with local people and men and women. I hate to say it, but my gut instinct is that our experience of church is more like once a week coming and getting on the tour bus and being you know, driven around to the temples and then we get off the bus and we go back to our homes and we never experience the shared life relationships that God has called us to experience with one another. How do we get back to what God has invited us to be as a faith community and not just uh, doing religious busy work, but actually experiencing life together? Well, we've got we've to get involved with shared experiences with local people out there in the community. See, I think too often the programs that we create that are designed to try and attract people to come to church, whether it's to learn or to grow or, or to be a part of something here at church, they're all wonderful and can be good, but they might be getting in the way of having room in our lives and our schedules to actually have shared experiences with our families, with our neighbors, with our colleagues. What if we said no to some things that, that take a lot of time and effort to plan and organize and pull off and we hope that people will come? so that we have more room in our schedules to actually invite one person to go out to coffee. We, we can invite our neighbors over for dinner, and we can see that as ministry and as a part of what it means to be church. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> How do we create shared experiences of life rather than just busy routines or ministry programs that feel kind of touristy? And is that why our culture kind of ha has given up on church because they can see the shallowness of a touristy kind of Christianity that's missing the, the deeper reality of what a, a lived out experience is in real life? Is it that getting good at creating opportunities for shared experiences of life is what will truly allow each of us to really rediscover what it means to be able to use our own gifts our own passions in a way to be a blessing to others around us? What would it look like with my family and friends to have more shared experiences? To have more shared experiences with my son, right? To have more shared experiences with my wife. I would love to have more shared experiences with my wife. You know, we looked at the last year and we were so much like ships in the night with all of our schedules. We realized we just, we were missing experiencing one another. Yeah, we were sharing life together. We were sharing a house together, but we didn't have those experiences that had the open space where we really got to enjoy being in one another's company. What about with our church family and our friends here at church? How often do we really get to spend just sharing experiences together in life? 
And how can we reach a, a world that is in desperate need of God's glory and God's grace and God's goodness in their life if all we really have time to do is invite them to come to church on Sunday morning? Hey, we got a tour bus that's leaving every Sunday morning. You want to take a ride? <laughs> we did a couple of bus tours. And I can tell you we spent more time on the bus than we did doing anything else that we went to see. We realized it was a waste of time and money. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10, Peter says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and be sober of mind so that you may pray. And he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And I want to suggest to you, men and women, that I think we, we struggle to understand and interpret a passage like this in our day and our culture because we do it through the filter of organized church. Right? We try and take this verse and we try and put it into our programs and our ministries here at Faith Covenant Church and we miss the opportunity of how to apply it in our everyday lives and relationships, starting with our own family. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Uh, he, uh, Paul says in Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carrying each other's burdens means we gotta be involved in real life together, right? We can't, we can't do that in a program. We can't do that on Sunday morning. I mean, those are connection points, but it's got to go out from here into our neighborhoods, into our houses, into our relationships where we're, we're living life in the nitty-gritty challenges. And then we can carry one another's burdens by offering hospitality and loving one another in the thick and the thin. And this goes back to what we've been saying for, for a long time, right? Discipleship to Jesus isn't a program of the institutional church. We can't have a discipleship program and ask people to go through the cookie cutter process and cut them out on the other end and I'm a disciple. <laughs> right? But that's how we approach church. If we just have the right programs, if we just get people to go to the right classes, if they check off the right boxes, that somehow on the other end they're going to be a disciple. But what we're learning is that discipleship happens face to face, one on one, as we share life together. And in the midst of our relationship, where we're encouraging one another and we're carrying one another's burdens, the Holy Spirit shows up and we grow in our faith because God becomes real in a way that makes sense to our lives and our relationships. And so much of what we experience at church doesn't lead us down that path. It actually gets in the way. This phrase, the end is near, is a little cryptic, right? <laughs> the end is near. The end is near. Is the end near? What if the end was near? Would it change your perspective on how you're spending your time? If the end was near, would it change your perspective on what you think we should be doing as a church? If, if we knew today that as of September 1st, 2020, the clock was ticking and we had one year to leave a legacy as Faith Covenant Church and then we were done. You know, I mean, Jesus is coming back and we're done. 
Would it change what we do this year in our time as a church? Would it change how we spend the time with our families? Would it change how we pursue what life is really all about? I think it would. Peter says the end is near. Therefore, be alert. Be of sober mind. Like, wake up. Pay attention, right? Focus on what's most important. And he says, above everything, love one another deeply. If we could learn how to do that one thing out of Scripture, do you think it would change our experience of life in church? I know it would. What if we knew the Lord was coming back? How do you think it would impact how we do life together? I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I don't have a lot of answers. But I think we can find them together if we're willing to ask them and pursue God's leading. Okay, the last one. We're running out of time. <sighs> Sorry, I told you I had a lot to say. Soul care. 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 The first and most important responsibility every Christian has is the stewardship of their own soul. And I confess to you that I have not done a very good job of that myself as a pastor. The first and most important responsibility every Christian has is the stewardship of their own soul. Why? Because you are the only gift that you have to give away to God and others whom he's called you to love and serve. And if you don't take care of yourself, you're not giving your best gift to God or to others. Amen? Amen. And I'm preaching to myself today. Soul care is often the last and least investment we make in ourselves and in life. And the real challenge I want to highlight for us today is that soul care cannot be accomplished in our own wisdom and our own strength as something we do individually by ourselves in our relationship with God. Because out of the light of the gospel of Christ and out of the community of Christ, we tend to run away from God and not pursue the things of God. Amen? So God has given us the gift of Christian community to challenge us to stay focused on caring for ourselves well. Yet how many of you have taken a plane in their lifetime? Right? Should we experience depressurization in the cabin, and the oxygen mask will fall. And if you're a parent, what do you do? Put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Because if you don't, you're going to pass out, and you're not going to be able to help your kids or those around you, right? Men and women, we are a culture of exhausted people that are living often on our last gasp. And how can we bless or help anyone else when we are so stretched thin in our own personal lives, emotionally, mentally, even spiritually, that we can, we're not good to ourselves or to anyone else. And because we've lost the ability to understand how to care for our souls. We, we care for our bodies. We care for our minds. And we go to school. We care for our emotions. We can go to hours and hours of counseling to, 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 to kind of get our emotional life in order. But how often do we really spend investing in the soul care that takes all of those aspects and unifies them in a spiritual life of relationship to Jesus Christ? 
You see, that's, that's the, the nub of where we find hope and we find freedom and we find grace and we find power for life. But we skip over that one and we try and do all these other things thinking that somehow it's going to make up for that one thing. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Genuine soul care cannot be accomplished in our own wisdom, in our own strength. It's only accomplished through the spirit of Christ at work within us, which means we have to stay connected to Christ, who is our bridge to the heart of the Father, so that as he pours out his endless love every day, it is flowing down to us and we're experiencing in our life because we're connected to God through the Son, which is why he came to give his life. And our ability to care for our own souls and to keep in step with the Spirit, I am learning and I'm still learning can only happen in direct relationship to number one and number two if we're traveling light and if we're pursuing shared experiences. See how all that works together? Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything else flows from it. I also like the NASB version. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. You think Jesus picked up on that teaching at all? He had a few things to say about that, right? A tree and its fruit. And the fruit comes from where? The heart, right? What we manifest in our lives and in our relationships, in our churches, comes not from our programs and our schedules and what we do. It comes from the heart. It comes from the soul. If we're not caring for our own souls well, what kind of fruit are we going to see in our marriages and in our families, in our churches? You know, Jesus was good at asking questions without answers, right? He was really good at that too. Jesus always had a lot of questions, And he asks a really important pointed question that gets right to the heart of the matter in Matthew 16, 26, right? He said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Men and women, Jesus knew soul care was the heart of the Christian life and the starting point for what stewardship and managing the gift that God has given us is all about. Everything else either rises or falls on how well we're caring for our own souls. Now, last week or two weeks ago, I was able to speak at Cascades Christian Camp, right? The family camp over Labor Day weekend. Greg and the worship team were there. It was awesome. And we did the Life App series. I don't know if you remember that when we did that a couple years ago here, but one of the Life Apps was, was rest. And, and, and the importance in the Bible, if you go back and understand that from creation, God has built rest into the rhythm of life. God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. We need to rediscover the value and the goal of what true rest is like in our lives. The challenge and the problem is that our busyness is robbing us emotionally and it's robbing us physically. It's robbing us relationally and it's robbing us spiritually. Either we learn how to take a break or we break. You see, what the kingdom of God needs is not an overworked, stressed out, burned out you. 
What the kingdom of God needs is arrested, replenished, energized, and passionate you. The goal of a, of a sabbatical renewal journey has been wonderful for me, but it's showing me that we need that in our everyday lives. How do we live more sabbatically as a people and not wait five to seven years to actually take a real break? God says there's a rhythm to it, and we can work it into our lives. And if we do, we'll experience the flow of what he has designed for us. Okay, I, I got to go to the end. I'm sorry. Five o'clock. We got dinner for you, right? So, Okay, so here's the closing for today, right? The starting point for this whole journey always has to be at the foot of the cross. We've got to humble ourselves and give up our foolish pride that somehow we know how to do this thing. And we have to get on our knees before Jesus, the one who gave his life to bring us back to the Father and to lead us into the freedom, to give us life abundant, and to trust him to give us the answers to the questions that we see. That's what the communion table today is all about. It's a reminder that it's not about how good we are, it's about how good God is. As Greg said, there's nothing that you've done that can separate you from the love of Christ. There's nothing that you can do to earn the love of Christ. And in that freedom, we come and say, okay, God, I'm making a mess of it. I'm putting my trust back in you. I need the answers to the questions that I seek. God, help me to learn how to let go and to travel light. Help me to value shared experiences and to, to say no to the busyness of my life so I have more room to experience your presence and power through the relationships that you've given me. And God, remind me of how critically important it is to first and foremost put the oxygen mask on myself and care for my own soul so that what I have to give away to those I love is my best self. And I can tell you, men and women, that I believe that we will discover not only the, the presence and the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives and relationships, but we will discover the deepest meaning and purpose of why we were given life on this planet to begin with. I'm going to leave you with Jesus' words again from Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. May it be for you and for me today. Would you pray? God, we do thank you for your endless love. We ask that you would continue to pour it down on us. And as we come to this holy communion table together, would you remind us that you have given us to one another to be your body in this world, to encourage one another, to hold one another accountable, but to most of all be a blessing to experience the truth of your word in our lives. And we will thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.